Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Jusek, and with us today is Tom Barlow. Tom was raised in a dying steel town and educated in the crucible of the Boomer Rebellion. He created one of the United States' largest bicycle tours, the 3,000 Rider Great Ohio Bicycle Adventure. Tom's authored four novels, two short story collections, and has published more than 100 poems in various literary magazines and anthologies since the start of the pandemic. He is a core volunteer of the Ohio Poetry Association and recently completed a project to write one haiku or senryu per day through 2022. And in the end, he wound up with more than 700 poems. Tom, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm honored to be here. Could you please start us with a poem? What happy be happy to. This is one, the title of it is Trophy. Dad kept a photo in his cufflinks box of the 38 Buick Century with a straight eight he bought from Uncle Buck after the war. The one that caught fire between Cambridge and Quaker City in 46 and burned to the axles. 60 years later, he would tell me about that car like a kid who caught a Gehrig home run ball. He'd go on about how the tires blew at least once a month and snow packed in the wheel wells, but the sharp paint job, the chrome and the leather made him feel like a Vanderbilt as he cruised past the glassworks at shift change when the men headed home would look up from their lunch boxes and lucky strikes to witness their reflection in the polish. As a child, I could never hold such a shine for him, not like the ward's silicone glaze he so lovingly applied. This in a mining town where he had to delicately brush away the coal dust every morning, lest it scratch the finish. To this day, I wonder if his hands ever touched my mother that way. Huh. Man, now you came to writing a little later in life. Um, and we were talking at the NFSPS conference. You'd, you'd mentioned that you've always been fascinated with writing and reading, and it, it's always been a, a hobby of yours. So I was wondering if you could talk about your relationship with, with you know, the, the written word and how you came upon it. Like, what made you decide to go full tilt into it? Well, it's a long story, but I'll make it short. Um, I I would... I was raised in a household where reading was was done and uh, encouraged, and I learned to read very early. But we didn't really have poetry. It was a blue collar, blue collar um, society then, and we didn't really value poetry. I did. I got into poetry through music mostly, through listening to musicians like Bob Dylan and John Lennon, and um, Jim Morrison, who not only wrote lyrics but wrote poetry as well. Not very good poetry, but. But I was enamored of the musicians and wanted to be like them. When I got to college, we had a core group of people that uh, wrote poetry, and I fell in with them. And it was a more, a, I'm not sure that I wrote poetry because I really wanted to write so much as I wanted to be one of those people. And I was encouraged to, to stay with it by some of my friends like Diane Kendig. But I was also uh, suffering with depression. And I wasn't, I was drawn to poetry that, this reinforced that things like Eliot's the hollow men. And I was reluctant to look that to use through poetry to look so deeply into myself because I didn't like what I saw. And it was a long time for before I came to terms with that depression and grew the kind of a confidence in myself that would allow me to overcome that inner critic. And that's really what happened. I started writing about 2004 again and found because I was working so hard, I needed something to divert my attention away from the, the, 
work that was sucking me in. And I thought, well, I'm going to write, see if I can write a novel. And I found at that point that that I had depression under control and I had some, the self-confidence that I could ignore the self-critic. And once I did that, it really it really blossomed for me. I found I took great pleasure in the in the uh, creative process. Okay. How, how did you approach the poetry when you were writing when you were younger and what changed to, to now? I found it very difficult. It was very um, imitative. You know, I was, I was doing what, you know, I was taking college courses and, and reading poets and I was more or less writing with the writing, but in between the lines of those poets wasn't really putting myself in, in, into the poetry so much again, because I was reluctant to, reluctant to, to be that, to be that naked, you know, there's a certain maturity with maturity comes the willingness sometimes to expose yourself to people and not be so worried about what they think about you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting that you said, you know, you wanted to be one of those people. I, I assume you mean like poets, like how, whether it's like the big scarves or the feather in the cap or the beat poets right. that are in the, under the, cool the lights. People. We got all the girls. Yeah. Yeah. And I know when I wrote, when I first started writing as like a late in my late teens and early twenties, I was writing because I wanted to make something cool, not because I was like trying to do something cool or show something interesting. You know what I mean? <laughs> like mm -hmm. I, I wanted people to look at it and say, wow, that's that's a really cool thing you did, Jeremy. And of course, the harder you try, the worse it is. <laughs> did it? Did you find that the writing alleviated the depression or was did leaning into it make it more like rolling a gutter ball, if that makes any sense. I think the latter was, was the case because I, because I was drawn most strongly to the, the poetry that just reinforced the depression. I wasn't savvy enough to look beyond that and to find poets that could elevate my attitude. Okay. What do you look for now when you're reading a poem? I like poetry, poetry that surprises me. Poetry that has... Um, I like humor and poetry, like people like Tony Hoagland and Billy Collins, which I appreciate very much. I like people that have, are, have depth and surprise me like Diane Seuss. And um, I like poetry that's not quite so elliptical that I could, I like poetry I can understand. I'm, I'm willing to work hard to understand it for someone like Wallace Stevens. But there are some poets, poetry I read that I just throw my hands up and say, I just don't get it. <laughs> so what, so what's what's do you know what the line is between accessibility and inaccessibility i think the line is probably my abilities more than the poet's intentions there's um you know that i read a lot of poetry but um just there is a certain a certain cap to my ability to, to decode what i'm being what it's being read that another especially someone that been through a through a um, an MFA program, someone who'd really studied um, the elliptical poetry can can get a lot of a lot out of poems that I may not be able to. Sure. How long have you been with the OPA? I joined the OPA probably five years ago. I um, I was looking. One of the things that appealed to me about poetry, as opposed to prose, is that there's a longer, lot larger sense of community. 
there are a lot of gatherings of poets. There's not a lot of gatherings of writer of so of novelists and short story writers. And in Columbus, we have a very strong poetry scene. And I've known Steve Abbott for a long time. I've known Diane Kendig since I, I was an infant. And um, when I became uh, interested in returning and trying to sing, to try and take trying my chops at poetry again, uh, they encouraged me to think about joining that because because again, it's it's an entree into yeah. So, because uh, yeah, you've been writing, you've been with the Ohio Poetry Association longer than you've been, than you've had your, I'm going to call it a revitalization because you really have gotten into poetry in, in the last few years. Yeah. Um. So, so why, why the OPA? Like, did, was, so did Steve get you involved? Yes, but I was, a, I was, um, it appealed to me that it was a statewide organization. And I think that one of the things I enjoy about it is the publications and the and the Zoom conferences and and the the podcasts that are statewide and address state people all across the state. So it, it opens a community, and through them, that I was able to go more granular. I've grown uh, friends with people in Cincinnati, Toledo, Youngstown, Athens, Cleveland. Um, I can say I know poets in all those places again because of the OPA. Yeah, yeah, I'm very grateful to the organization. Um, I think what's interesting is I, I read I read a, you we traded books at the conference, and uh, I, I think that you've always had a poetic eye, at least, because especially in your dialogue, I've noticed that it it shows up in your dialogue a lot. Um, in in the book, I'll meet you yesterday. Um, you, you had, there's this line that says with the drought, nothing but camels could live here. When my ma who's poorly finally dies, we're heading North until we're surrounded by water. And it's, it's such a beautiful passage, but it's, it's, it's in a very short amount of space, you manage to encapsulate the family's troubles and you have this, you develop a complicated metaphorical relationship that the characters have that they also share with the readers and so I'm wondering, are those are those things that you feel like you have to work into the text, or do you are you blessed with the gift of figurative language? Like what um, what what is the crossover there, and 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 how poetic do you feel you are when you're writing prose? I don't feel particularly poetic when I'm writing prose, but I do. Um, I think both in both instances I uh, obey the dictate of show not tell. And I think that's where metaphor is so important. And it's, it works, it's important in a novel too. No one wants to read a novel where people people keep saying, oh, he's a bastard or he's he's an evil person. You want to read something that, that as a reader, you can come to that conclusion because that's satisfying as a reader. You feel like you're participating in the book when you can, when you can take in something that the writer has put in there and get more out of it than is just stated in the the mere words. And I think the same thing with poetry to a great degree. Poetry, even more than novels, um, depends on that. In novels, you can you can get away with some of that, some loosey-goosey talk, talk and some direct talk if you need to. Um, in in 80,000 words, they just get lost in the shuffle, but you can't get away with that in a poem ever because you just don't have that many words to work with and it's going to be, it's going to stand out like a beacon. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you, do you think your writing would have been if it had been flipped? Like you had, 
written years worth of poetry first and then gone into prose? It's a good question because I think, um, I'm not sure I would have had pro the progression that I had in, in prose. There was a strong progression for me through the first two or three years of writing prose. I think I began in 2004 or so. And, um, and I went through some growing pains like any, any writer would. Uh, poetry, I'm not sure that I would have evolved to the point where I had the kind of transferable skills. I might have, um, it might have been hard for me to not be succinct. It might have been hard for me to step away from obliqueness in any respect and, and just tell it plain. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I'm curious, what do you use? Cause you're still, you're still writing sh short stories now. Um, Occasionally. Per, perhaps less your poetry output has been, I'm going to get to that. And I want, I'm definitely want to talk about that cause it's impressive. Um, but what do you use each medium for? What do you think the, you know, what are the strengths and weaknesses of the craft? And um, if you're, if you have an idea, what makes you categorize it? Yes, this is going to be a story or this is going to be a poem. I think it's just, it goes back to theme more than, more than anything. I have a sense of when I write stories, I'm really writing entertainment and I'm not really putting myself in there. I'm putting, I'm telling a story about other people for the most part. When I write poetry, it's often set, it often begins with me, even though it, it, um, I can extend that out. I can go from I to you to he or hi to she and, um, take some of that out, but still it's, it's a, it's something that I'm working with an internal dilemmas, internal conflict and uh, putting on paper, or it's an intellectual question that I have that I can't really address in a short story. No one wants to read about you know, my, my uh, well, how do I talk about the Ukraine war in a short story? It's a lot more difficult. If I can do it in a, po in a poem, I can be succinct. And I, call, I can also be, um, um, the, in curse, I can explain it in ways that allow the reader to take take from it more than just what I'm putting on the paper. Sure, sure. Um, do you, do you, I guess, I guess I'm really curious. Do you find, do you think you're more of a poet at heart than anything else? Cause you've written a lot of different stuff. You know, I, one of the things that, you know, when people go to your website, they're going to see, it's not just poetry and stories you've written all sorts of stuff you've written like ad copy and 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 brochure stuff and you've written non-marketing materials I, I think you've dabbled in i think like playwriting you've tried to do like monologues and stuff so so mm -hmm. are you a poet at heart i think i i don't i think i'm a writer at heart poetry is one of the things i do uh, i don't think i'm as good a poet as i am a short story writer uh, i wish that i were but i get i get great pleasure out of writing both but I probably get more pleasure out of writing poetry because I find it more difficult. And when I can really hit something that I feel like it resonates, um, it gives me a, lot, a great deal of pleasure. But, um, but overall, I've, I've found the ability to craft a, a sense, um, uh, it comes out in so many different ways. I, I worked as a blog writer for AOL for about five years, wrote a couple thousand blog uh, blogs. And again, it was a, 
took it advantage of, of a skill that I was born with that also gave me expo um, probably helped with my discipline that I could then bring to my my fiction and poetry writing. I can attest to that. I uh, when I first started freelancing, this is like twenty fifteen or something. Um, I, I worked for a like a basically a content mill where you just you just pump out you know eight eight to ten thousand words per day and you just add sure. it constantly and by the end of doing that for like two and a half years doing you know forty thousand words a week you get by the time you know by the time you're done it's just it's it's second nature you just sit down and do it and it, it helps quite a bit i think that discipline can be uh i don't want to say overlooked but i think that that discipline is very helpful if it's cult cultivated yeah, you get over the fear of the of the uh keyboard yeah a lot of people have it's... yeah not not just the fear of the keyboard but and i'm sure you can attest to this feeling like you don't know how to continue like you're out of ideas or the blank page is you know you just have the blinking cursor sort of they always show that in a movie where like a writer has writer's block and there's just a blinking cursor on the screen and um you know, even if you don't know how to describe something, because you're so used to going at a high clip, you just keep going and you're like, I'll visit that later during the editing process. You know, you don't get too caught up on things that just might stall, you know, someone else who's just obsessed with getting it right the first time, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Because... Now, I, I do encourage people to go to your website and get your books, but I, I, I encourage them to visit your website and see how much you've published. It's nuts. I, I mean, it's it's hundreds. I mean, you since the pandemic, since the beginning of 2020, you've, you've published about 100 poems and they're in literary magazines, a million literary magazines and, and on that list. Um, what do you think makes a poem accessible for prospective publishers? I think there's, um, first of all, it has to be original. It has to be some nuggets in there that, that, that resonate with them and um, using metaphors that are new, but, but as soon as you read them, you think, wow, that's Yeah. So I never thought of it that way, but that's exactly true. So finding some of those kind of nuggets uh, thematically, uh, you have to match the theme, the, the common themes to a magazine. Um, some, some are not going to want, political poems. Some are not going to want to write per, uh, agonizingly personal poems, but some will. So that's that's a that's a function of searching. Um, I think that um, trying to stay away from cliches is important, and um, and um, perseverance is important too. You have to, you have to, uh, that's one of the keys to selling a lot of poems is sending out a lot of poems. No, that's true. It, it, and to some extent, it's a numbers game. Certainly. Um, yeah. I've always sold about or placed about between 15 and 20% of the time when I send it out, will be accepted. And that's been consistent since I started writing. That is a high, that that's high. I, I mean, do you use Duotrope? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good tool. Because I, I remember um, we had a writer come speak to us 
when I was in, in my our MFA program and she was saying, you know, you'll be lucky when you start to be around 3%. She's like, you have no bio, you have nothing to your name. Like it, people do, they don't want to say that they do. And unless they say, don't add a bio until you get accepted to certain, to some degree that that's in the calculus. But, um, you know, and she, she said, I'm up to finally about 18%. And she, she tracked it very carefully. A lot of it has to do with how, where you shoot. I don't, I don't send my poetry out to the top 100 magazines. Because I know that, that, that you know places like Poetry and Rattle and the New Yorker, places like that. I'm just spinning my wheels. That there are plenty of magazines that do, that have wonderful layouts and do a really good job of selecting poets that you're pleased to be in the, their publication with. That um, the out there and um, those are the ones I target usually. Okay. Do you, do you have any advice for people who are searching, you know, beyond, beyond like making sure that the, it fits the content. Do you have any other things that you look for or that you could kind of clue people in on? Um, well, it's taking the time to look at poem, the magazines or the journals and seeing the kind of poems they, they publish is important. Um, I look also Facebook. Uh, there are sites on Facebook where the calls for submissions will go in, and those are sometimes important because they'll be they'll be specific to, to a theme, and matching a theme to a poem is certainly a, a a more of a slam dunk than about any other thing I can think of um, to recommend for people. Is if you have a Christmas poem, find some place that's calling for Christmas poems. Just don't send them out willy nilly. Okay, how do you ever write to a theme? Like you find a theme, you're like, I don't have anything like this, but I'm, I know I have something in the noggin ready. <laughs> I think, uh, very seldom do I do that. I really, when I've tried to write to a theme or write to a, to a, to a uh, prompt, I usually get brain freeze. I just, um, I have to, I have to write the things that spontaneously spring up in my mind and I don't even know where they come from. Sure. Sure. Um, what would you say? Cause I mean, you joined the OPA about five years ago. You started publishing seriously about three, um, poetry. Of course you've been publishing fiction since 2004. Um, what, what are your favorite craft skills? And then what would you say are the community resources and things that have helped you along the way now that you're like, okay, I'm doing this. I think the craft skills are, are part. Perseverance is an important part of it. Um, a thick skin is is part of it, I think, as well. And um, those things are take sometimes it'll take time. Like I said, I didn't start writing until I was well into my fifties. And um, I rec I recommend people not not worry too much if they're twenty five and they aren't coming up with a lot of a lot of things to write or they're not having much success. They've got a long life left left to them. In fact, with with medical with medical uh, forward, the way we move forward in medicine, people your age might live to be a hundred. So you've got, you know, what's the rush, man? What's the rush? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I should do. That I'm going to title this episode: "Poetry of What's the Rush, Man." <laughs> but um, where where do you get your drive? Is is that is that part? Huh? Um, one of the things is because it's the things I can't do, I no longer work. So I, I don't have 
you know, as much as work is a drag for a lot of people, it's also a center of their, their existence. And um, it, it can drive some satisfaction from work as well as some, some aggrievement. Um, I do a lot of the things, I used to bicycle obsessively and I'd love to spend you know, nothing better, better than spending all day, every day on a bicycle, but I can't do that anymore because of my health. So I've got a, a lot of time in my hands. And I found to try different things that the one thing that, that I get most satisfaction from is, is finishing a poem that I'm really proud of. Um, and I found it. That's one of the things I, I try to try to encourage people when they're talking about writing is to take your pleasure from the experience of creativity because you can't control an editor accepting it. You can't control a, a, a reader buying it. You can't control whether they're going to enjoy that or not. Those are all things beyond your control. And if you worry about only about that, but can I sell this book? Can I sell this poem? You're really setting yourself up for a lot of aggravation. But there's no there's no better time than when you step back from a poem and say, I got it that time. I really killed that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, your your production level, you must have some idea of when either a poem feels done or a poem is no longer salvageable. Do you know, are you able to put that into words, like where that line is? That's probably one of my weaknesses is I tend to get to a poem where I just can't stand to work on it anymore. And um, I'll either put it in my, I'll never going to send this one out pile or I'll send it out just to get it off my desk. But then I'll go back to it in three or four months and say, wait a minute, I see three places on this that I can fix this poem where it's much better poem than it was. So I'm trying to be let to build that into my craft, a dwell time where I let it just put it in my drawer and forget about it for a while and bring it back out before I send it out. But that's really hard to do because, you know, I love every poem I ever wrote as the, the minute I finished it. The next day I looked at it, I didn't like it at all. And then the third day I come back and I have some, some reaction to it that's in between the two. That's fascinating because it takes me a lot longer than a day. Yeah. So, okay. So let me, let me explain that a little more. I, one of the best pieces of advice I think I ever got was don't, you know, if, if you're uncertain about a poem or you think it's really good <laughs> to put it in a proverbial drawer and let it sit for like six months and, or, or at least whatever amount of time. And that's how long, like it takes me a while I have to kind of like forget what I was trying to do. And I think it's fascinating that you can do it the next day, that like the next day you have new eyes that you can look at it objectively, that you can kind of like parse out how you felt just, you know, 18 hours ago or whatever. Well, it's a lot of times though, that's a false, it's a false reality that, that what I think I, some, a lot of times I think I could see it objectively but I'll be much more objective like you would be in six months. I just don't have the patience to wait six months because I may not have six months to live. So I'm not going to sit on a lot of poems. <laughs> I'm only winter. laughing because you started laughing. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, yeah, I guess I, I, part of it, and this isn't like a, a, a great quality for a writer to have, but there's, there's some part of me that doesn't trust that I know what I'm doing right away. So I force myself to bury it for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, well, I, th I think it helps you. It's a, it's a good craft tool. If you can, if you have the patience for it, that's, it's, 
it's hard to have that patience because, you know, one of the, part of the part of the uh, part of the sense of having maximum pleasure from a poem is getting someone else to, you know, you're sitting there waiting for someone else to to give you a thumbs up. That's one thing I like about the, um, I, I take part in the OPA's uh, open mic most months. And it's a lot of fun to watch people read their poems and kind of look around and, and see if they're going to get some hands up on Zoom. Because that may be the only, that may be the only feedback they ever get. That's true. That's true. I, I find readings to be extremely helpful in the sense that it shortens my drawer time. <laughs> it Because when I read it out loud, you're right. One is definitely the feedback people get give. But two is, I, I mean, I read poems out loud while I'm writing them anyway, but it's different when you're trying to read them for other people, I think. I don't know. I, I, how do you feel? <laughs> I, I, I agree completely. I I, I don't know how many times I've read a poem that I thought was really, really stellar. And when I read them aloud to myself, I still think so. And I read them in front of an audience. I suddenly hear all the nuances that aren't quite right before, even before the audience reacts, you know, you, you try to gauge what, how much the applause really means. But I know in immediately when I hit a clunker, when I'm reading it aloud in front of a of in front of a crowd. Do you like, uh, do you like listening to fiction readings? Not so much. I I um I read very quickly, and I get I get impatient when I'm hearing someone read or read it aloud because I want to get through it. You know, I want I want to find out if they're reading a story. I want to know what's happening at the end. That's the whole reason I'm engaged in a story is to be carried along, and I don't like being carried along at a really leisurely pace when I could go a lot faster. And I know that's a weakness I think because I've, it makes for sloppy reading, and I'm guilty of that. I think. I don't know. And, and I'm using a very biased sample, but I, I was talking to some people, to some other poets, and, you know, we we're talking about readings and how fiction readings just seem like they take forever. <laughs> it takes like a long time to get through it. And at individually, the the interest density that's I don't know, I just made that up. But the the interest density like per line is less because I think there's, like you said earlier, a poem just has to be more dense. It has to be more carefully constructed. And that construction comes through in a reading, whereas a prose, you're, I feel like I'm I'm, I'm listening to the setup of a story because they always read like the, one of the first couple chapters of the book. And so I'm getting the setup to something I don't get payoff for. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's, yeah, I, uh, and usually that, they choose to read something that's too long. So that, that becomes even more of a drag. Sure. Sure. And you were, you were talking earlier, you said something like, um, I, I wanted to ask this earlier and I forgot you, you had said that, uh, you, you were resistant to poetry or at least your home environment was resistant to poetry. Um, do you think that that delayed your your willingness to be vulnerable to it too? Possibly, but you know, there wasn't at the time I went to school as well that poetry wasn't really taught. There was as nursery rhymes were about as much poetry as I got probably until I got into high school. 
So I didn't really know any poets. I didn't know about the poetry scene. I didn't know about, I didn't know poems in, in general, like I said, until, until I came to them kind of obliquely through, through um, music. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I will say that um, one of the things I, one of the reasons I made the transition from fiction to poetry was because I was drawn to the, to the challenge of being succinct. Of making, uh, you know, making, essentially putting a whole story in 150 words, and I was looking for a new challenge, and I found it endlessly interesting, trying to be that concise, and yet still that, and still come up with a big payoff at the end of the poem. Can you think for? Can you think for a t of a time there that like clicked for you? Well, yeah, I, I think it's. Um, I wrote probably three months before I wrote a poem that I really stepped back and said, hey, wait a minute. I think that's, I actually think that's good. I don't, I, I thought, of course, I thought all of them were good right away, but I quickly was quickly disabused of that. But um, yeah, I can, I can say that um, it's when I, I try to find a certain wildness in a poem. I really value that. So it just doesn't sound, you don't know, when you read the first line, you don't know what, where the poem's going to end up. And I think I had to, that's what this the, the I had to make from, from fiction to writing poetry is a certain wildness where I took you an unexpected place and there was a pleasant surprise or two within the poem. How so? Well, the, like the poem I read at the beginning of this, this um, broadcast or this podcast, you know, it starts off talking about my father and ends up talking about the relationship between my father and my mother. And I thought that was a good, uh, interesting turn. I was pleased with the way that came out because it was both, it, add, it added meaning to what had come before, but it also took the poem into a new direction. Hmm. Okay. You, you have, you know, one of the things I love about your poetry is you have a knack for Steve, Stephen King does this. I, I can't think of any better way to exp using imagery to create a setting. Like you, you put in some images Like you don't say, Oh, you know, we're, we're in Rhode Island. Now you, you give, you know, you mention clams or whatever, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, nothing's popping to the top of my head, obviously, but it, it's, it's whether it's, you have the one poem where you specify like a car's paint job and you, you have like a couple of adjectives that go along with like the glossy sheen um or you use like dated references what is going on in your head when you're putting those images together i think trying to evoke a scene without being um, overt without telling you know again it's the showing not telling um aspect that comes into it but also it puts me puts me as a poet in, in a certain place where things can happen with it once i get the, that loaded into my head and i'm in that world I get certain things that become apparent to me that well, I wouldn't necessarily be apparent. So I see some places to take the phone. Okay. Do you surprise yourself often? When I do surprise myself, I really, really value that. Too often I, I have poems that, that go exactly where they seem to be going from the first line. And those are, those are ones that I usually end up um, in my first draft file, but, but I don't really take them anywhere else. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I found sometimes when I write a lot of poems in a row, uh, like I've been, I started doing this this poem a day thing that that Johnny McIntyre put together last year, at the end of last year, and I've been following mm-hmm. along with it. And I've, it, it's kind of what happened when I was writing a poem every day, you know, years ago. I, I start feeling like it's harder to surprise myself because I, I get into these routines and I need to start mixing it up eventually. Like I'm, I know I'm going to get and go work on like a fiction piece or something, something to stay writing, but where I'm not doing these like mechanical, like I'm like you know the gutter ball example, you know, getting into a rut and then, you know, this is where I end my stanza every time, or this is, you know, I don't know. That's where I, I wonder, I, I've never been successful at writing a series like you would put in a chapbook or a book. Like I know your books, um, there there's some thematic similarity throughout throughout it that kind of adds a cohesiveness. And I've never been able to write poems because I like that because I come too repetitive. And I, I maybe I'm choosing too narrow of a theme, but I, I find that each poem is not unique anymore. So I bounce around a lot. That's probably why I'll never publish a book is I don't have any any 20 poems that that have any similarity to themselves you can create similarity like if you um you know if you have a collection about food you can tie them together with specific images and and, because you can edit after the fact and and make it so that collection itself supports itself that's a good point um you should try you should really try i mean you've published enough you (laughs) You just you you owe it to yourself to do that. I'm sure you have plenty. <laughs> <laughs> um, you another thing that you do that's really cool um, is is you use you have you have structural quirks and like in your poem Nightclub America, you use forward slashes throughout the poem. And I wanted to ask you, what do the slashes mean, and where did you get the idea? Well, I, I'm not the first person to do that, but it actually has a uh, an intention. It goes, first of all, I believe that when someone opens a page and looks at a poem, if it looks neatly arranged, it has a a geometry to it, I think they're more likely to read that. They're more likely to come into that poem feeling favorable about it as to a poem that has, it looks really ragged. At the same time, I want to clue the reader in to phraseology, where the pauses are going to be. So if there's a line that it's an enjam, but I want to use those slashes to carry the the phrase through the enjambit to the next back slash or the next forward slash. So it's a way of me to tell a reader, this is how you read the poem, but it's going to look neat on the page when you open it to, before you even start writing the poem. And I'm not sure that that's valid, but I've been doing it and I, I'm, I like, I like neat looking poems, poems that, that are ge- geometric. Man, I'm over here taking notes because I I do the exact opposite where I'm like I'm gonna make this real messed up looking thing. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. And well, maybe it works. It works for you. I I love it. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's interesting. And so yeah, you're just you're you're hitting enter without hitting enter. Cool, cool, cool. Um, what? What have you been working on when you're at your time during the OPA? Well, I've, um, like I said, I've been kind of writing a scattered shotgun, scattered bunch of poetry. Um, all, some personal, some 
some philosophical, some political, some humorous. But at the same time, I've been writing another novel. So I'm finishing that up as well. So I'm kind of doing both at the same time. It's interesting to try to shift my brain from novel mode to, to poetry mode in the same day. I'm not, I'm kind of hyper-focused, so it's, it's a little difficult, but I'm, I'm getting better at it. How do you do that? I can't do that. Um, I think I, I change, for me, it's a change in location. I go to a, the library or a bookstore, uh, a coffee shop in the morning and write my poetry. I come home and go, go up to my office instead of my desk to write, to write the uh, prose. And that's, that change in location seems to trigger something a little bit. I'm probably not as good at it as I should be. I mean, maybe there's more prose leaking into my poetry and vice versa. I'm not sure. <laughs> at, at a certain point, I think that, you know, you do both enough that they're going to be linked somehow. But I, I can't do that at all. If I go, if if, if I, if I, some, some days I wake up knowing that I need to write a poem for something or, you know, or whatever. Um, but I'll wake up knowing that I am not going to be doing poetry that day. I just, I sit down and I, and I do some fiction and that's it. And I can't, I've never been able to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try the change in location trick and see if it helps because. <laughs> it just maybe you need to wait till you're old. <laughs> maybe it's a gift that comes with age. God knows we need a gift. Maybe I I'm hoping I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that's, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it is <laughs> um because i I'm, I'm worried that when the older i get the more scatterbrained i'm gonna get it's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be more nuts <laughs> scatterbrained poetry i like it when it bounces all over the place <laughs> well i get plenty of that on my page <laughs> do you do do you do a lot of workshops do you find them helpful i do matter of fact i'm right now i'm taking two courses at the same time, which is probably insane. I'm taking one with Pauletta Hansel down in Cincinnati and another with um, Connor Bracken. Connor, we have Connor Bracken through Lit Cleveland. They're two very different themes or different uh, of um, itineraries for the, for the workshops, but um, I'm intrigued by both of them. I'm intrigued by both poets. So it's, but I try to sign up to a workshop, even things that I think that I know pretty well just being in a workshop environment is I, first I have a sense of community. I meet people, which is terrific and I get inspired. So yeah, workshops are good. I always do the, um, the OPA quarterly workshops. Those are dynamite. No, they do a fantastic job. I need to get to more of them. Um, what are the, what are the themes of the workshops? Well, one is writing, um, writing outside the poet, which is Connors, like Cleveland writing poems, you know, think political poems or persona poems or just not oh, any of those poems other than this is, this is what happened when I was 10 years old. Pauletta's, I think, is, I'm not sure what the theme is so much this year, but I know it's going to be, we're working with Ada Lamone as a, as a, as a, a uh, inspiration and some of her thinking about how, the, how we're part of the world. We're not dominator, dominators of the world. We're partners with with the sea, we're partners with the land, we're partners with, with the botany and the biology of the world, and we need to respect that and, and how that impacts the poetry that we write. Very cool. I'm going to hit you up later just to find out what you've learned. <laughs> <laughs>
would you like to read another poem to sign us off? I'd be happy to. I'll read The Way of Time. So this is kind of a poem. I, I, one of the things I write about quite a bit is, is aging because that's where I am. Um, this is one of those poems, The Way of Time. Our wedding album, when I am challenged to name the faces in the guest photos, I fail miserably. My mind has been coming apart a stitch at a time, like the rag doll my sister wrestled from our dog Willie's mouth, who had thrashed it to break its cotton neck. Isn't that the way of memory? To nail a trivial moment like that to your forehead and knock aside any recollection of your mother on your fifth birthday, like it had never really happened. And you've been four your entire life, and that dog never died, and that doll was never abandoned, and your sister never took her hair out of the pigtails. And you never picked up a familiar book and found the words perplexing. That's the way of time, too, relentless, like the draw of a fireplace on a windy night or the weight of a blanket you share with someone you are almost sure you know. Thank you very much. That's beautiful. Well, thank you. All right. This has been Poetry Spotlight, a production of the Ohio Poetry Association. Please follow the OPA on Twitter at Ohio Poetry and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ohio Poetry. Visit ohiopoetryassociation.org for more information. And Tom, thank you so very much for joining us. Well, thank you for the invitation.